Successful Performer Cast, Episode 42. This is the show that interviews one full-time professional entertainer per week with the goal of inspiring and equipping those who are working to make the leap themselves. This is the Successful Performer Cast. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Successful Performer Cast, the show that interviews professional entertainers to inspire you, our listeners. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you of a few things. Be sure to pick up your free PDF show booking and debrief form that I've put together for you. It's an invaluable tool that will help you keep track of all aspects of your show and get everything you can out of it in order to improve your act and grow as a performer. Pick it up at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash booking sheet. Don't forget to visit our Facebook group where you can go and post questions and help each other out with any business challenges you might have. It's a closed group right now, so you'll have to request entry, but don't worry. I'll let you in. I promise. Find that at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash FB group. Finally, if you can think of anything I can do to improve my show, any resources you'd like to see on my website, or would like to suggest someone to interview, please drop me a line at KS at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com or hit me up on the social networks and let me know. I'm open to suggestions and feedback and have already implemented many suggestions from you guys. Now, let's get to the good stuff. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show a wonderful performer. Doug Shear is a magician and an expert at creating customized educational shows. He'd originally worked in the auto industry for two decades, creating custom magical presentations for General Motors. And now he's found success in offering 13 different shows to the educational school show market, creating and performing shows that teach lessons as well as amaze. Doug Shear, I am super excited to have you as a guest on the Successful Performer Cast. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. You're doing a great job with this podcast, and it's a pleasure to be on, so thank you for having me. Hey, the pleasure is mine, sir. The pleasure is mine. So let's uh, let's get started with a little bit of uh, inspiration here. Do you have a favorite success quote or a particular mantra that you live by? <laughs> yeah, it, my success quote is, um, it may sound kind of negative, but it's not, and I think there's there's some good ideas behind it. It's um, It's actually a Bill Cosby quote. And uh, the first person I ever heard the quote from actually was Bill Clinton. So if Bill Clinton is quoting Bill Cosby, it's it's got to be worth something. Um, in fact, I just looked it up recently to make sure I had it exactly right. But um, the quote is, I don't know the secret to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everybody. Mm. That is – yeah. And, and the reason I think that's incredibly important and it's something that I, I kind of live by is – in this business, when you're in the spotlight and you're out there doing your thing um, as a magician or a comedian or an actor or whatever you do, there's always a fine line that we're running, especially if we're comedic entertainers, yeah. you know, and how far do you push the envelope? Um, and for some people, that line is a lot closer to you than it might, you might think it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um and, and you'll get people who you're not going to please everybody all the time, but if you're pleasing 99% of the people, maybe even 95% of the people, you're going to be real successful. You don't know what people are bringing to 
um, the show, when they show up as an audience member, you don't know what they've been through that day. You don't know where they're coming from. Um, and so sometimes you get feedback from people that can affect you negatively if you dwell on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the stuff you have to kind of just brush off. I mean, I can give you a couple examples of sure. things in my past. Yeah, there was a, um, I was in an elementary school once. I do a thing with, um, I do a thing with, uh, in my conflict resolution show, we talk about picking a good time to talk. Um, if you've got something on your mind, you want to talk to somebody about it, you got to pick a good time. You can't just walk up and start talking to them because they may be busy. They may be doing something else. It's part of the educational message. So in the course of that, I pop these um, like corn silks in front of a kid on stage. And one of them is a, a kid running for the bus. And I say, uh, you know, maybe this isn't a good time to talk because the other kid's busy. And here's maybe this isn't a good time to talk. And it's a picture of a kid on a playground being tackled by his friends. You know, you don't want to embarrass anybody in front of, the, in front of other people. Sure, and the yeah. third cloth, the third cloth I pop in front of myself, I say, if you pick a private time, just make sure it's not too private of a time. And I pop it open. And it's a cartoon picture of someone climbing out of the shower with a towel wrapped around them, okay? And it's a, it's a funny piece. The kids all laugh and I throw right, it aside. Right. Well, yeah. the principal came up to me after the show and said, oh, my gosh, you know, you almost ruined the show for me. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, that kid in the towel, it was really inappropriate. I go, really? It's a cartoon picture. And, you know, the, all you see are the knees down to the feet and your shoulders up to the head. He said, well, you know, maybe I'm being overly sensitive. We just had a sexual harassment thing happen in the school today. And, you know, maybe you want to reconsider doing that. Well, to him, that was a big deal, and it's the only complaint I ever had about that particular thing. I've never had a complaint before, but in some cases, some people can be incredibly sensitive to some things you do in the show, you know, on that particular day. Now, if he saw the show again, here it is 10 years later, he probably won't even remember that instance. Um, there's something else I do on my show, on my comedy magic show, I call The Laugh Factory. Um, I, uh, I pour a, a cup of water um, into a styrofoam cup and I talk about how the water is coming out of a plastic bottle and it's not BPA free and it contains uh, fake estrogens, hormone disruptors. And if you drink the water, any boy that drinks the water is going to turn into a girl. Well, <laughs> if, you read the, if you read the science on this, um, men and boys are um, being affected severely by estrogen. Um, and if you get into it, men are not what they used to be. We've got more estrogen in our body now. We're being softened by it. So to me, it's a little statement that I'm making because um, I'm kind of a health nut as well. And it's true. These hormone disruptors really do affect people. And so I make that joke in the show. And then I, I do um, I do this trick. And later on in the show, I get a little girl on stage and I hypnotize her. I say, in a couple of seconds, the snake's going to pop out of this basket. And you're going to be so afraid. You're going to run like a girl. And she always says, well, I am a girl. Okay. So there's those two cases in the show show. It's a 45-minute show, and I, I do those two lines. Well, by the time I got back to my office um, that evening, there was an email from this woman complaining that I was making fun of women in the show, and I should be more sensitive about it. Mm-hmm. And she was complaining about the whole estrogen thing that I made, that line about that I made, and she was complaining that I told a girl she was going to run like a girl. Well, she is a girl. So um, that's the joke right there. I don't know where this woman came from or what she was on her mind, but uh, it's the only time I'd ever heard any kind of complaints like that. And uh, if I heard it again and again and again, then I'd probably do something about it. Yeah. But uh, you don't know what people are bringing to your show. So, uh, again, the key to success is 
nobody knows, but the key to failure is trying to please everybody. And if I tried to please that one by taking those jokes out of that show or taking that cartoon picture out of my other show, before you know it, people are going to strip your show down to nothing and you've got nothing left. Mm -hmm. So um, you've got to kind of stick to your guns. Um, if people do give you feedback and it's constructive and you hear it again and again, it's something you definitely want to listen to. You don't want to ignore it because uh, people can give you good feedback. And I think many people, well, you know, a show is a live, living, breathing thing. And yeah, it's constantly It's always changing. evolving, yep. It's completely evolving, and we get our we get our lessons, and we learn from our audiences. What do they like? What don't they like? Talking to people after the show, you get good feedback. You get bad feedback too. Mm -hmm. So the bad feedback, you have to brush it off. I see on Facebook a lot, guys say, "Oh my gosh, this happened to me, and I can't sleep at night." And you know that stuff's all it goes behind you. The yeah. problem is. You get 400 compliments, you get one negative piece of critical advice, and what do you focus on? That one, you know, that one piece of critical advice that uh, really hurt you. It's like when you go to Amazon and you want to buy a book and there's 15 great reviews on the book and there's one that says, oh, it was boring. Yep. Boy, what do they focus that on? <laughs> I'm not going to buy that, that book. It's boring, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, that's kind of what I live by. And I kind of think that if someone ever says something to me that uh, – you know, they offer their opinion. I'll listen to it if it's a valid criticism. But if it's, you know, if it's not, you know, I don't let it bug me. And I think that's part of my part of my mantra. Mm -hmm. Wow, I like that. That is that is awesome. Uh, just uh, just ha how you were able to to you know give us some really really good specific examples of that as well. Fortunately, I don't have a lot of examples. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. I had a lot of I would probably be doing something wrong. Right. Um, but uh, there's a few that stand out, you know, but you kind of keep those in the back of your mind and they're always there. You know, yeah. like I say, if it's up again, then maybe I do something about it. But in the meantime, I'm not going to worry too much about it because you can't please everybody all the time, right? Right, right. And you can always learn from uh, these little things as well. So could you could you talk about how you transitioned into performing full time? Did you ever have a real job and in, in uh, or well quote unquote real job? And how did that play out for you? No, my the only jobs I ever had when I was sixteen years old, um, I was doing magic at restaurants, doing close up walk around magic, and then when I got to college, I was doing voices for robots at Chuck E. Cheese's and, and controlling those, nice. um, and that was a great. Oh, it was a great, great – remember Chuck E. Cheese, the Chuck oh, E. Cheese yeah. restaurants? They're yeah, still and they around over have, here. <laughs> yeah, they, they are, but they got rid of some of the robots. They had these automatic remote control robots and we'd sit in a booth and we were able to use these joysticks and control the robots and talk to kids. The kids would go into a birthday party room and there were three or four characters and we'd program them. They'd play music and do songs and between the songs – these robotic characters would stop and talk to the kids, say, hey, Susie, happy birthday. I see that your mom over there and you got a pink birthday cake. And and it was a great training ground for um, for doing jokes. Yeah, oh, wow, and improvise. yeah. Yeah, and the kids could talk back to you and uh, the, you, could, you control the different characters one at a time. So in terms of a real job, that's the only real job I had, but it was still a performing job because um, I'm doing improv and I'm sitting up in a booth and I'm kind of doing birthday party shows through these robots. Um, from there, Harry Blackstone Jr. came through Michigan. It was the sesquicentennial of Michigan. It was the 100th 
and 50th birthday. And he came in to, this, to Lansing, which is our state capital, and he trained about a dozen magicians. And the way he trained us is said, listen, I know you're all pros. You'll do a good job. You get out there and have fun. Um, and we were all given Michigan flags, sesquicentennial flags, and we, wa- we all went into these malls and uh, performed these all-American magic shows. And from that magic show, um, a school teacher saw me and said, hey, you know what? Next year – is the bicentennial of the Constitution. And we're studying that in elementary school. Can you do a show like this all about the Constitution? And of course, you know, I said, sure, I can. You know, so I had the summer to put it together. And it was my very first um, entry into doing school assembly shows. It was called um, the Constitutional Conjuring Show, which is really a terrible name. Um, But I was incredibly successful with it that first year. And I remember um, after college, I uh, went home and I uh, told my mom and dad I was going to be a magician. And there's kind of a funny story behind that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is what I was going to do. And so, so I put together this, uh, this three-color brochure and we mailed it out to all the elementary schools. And because of the timing of it, all the schools were looking to teach the Constitution – Here's this young kid coming in with a constitutional magic show. It took off like wildfire. In my first year alone, I did probably, with just one or two mailings, probably 150 schools that first year alone. Um, wow. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is easy. All I got to do is drive around town and collect money from these schools. And so I throw my little tricks into the back of my Ford Escort and uh, drive from one to two schools a day. And, uh, and, it, and it worked out really well. Fortunately, from there, um, my former college roommate called me and said, hey, listen, I'm the PR director of Dow Chemical in Midland, Michigan, and can you do a science show for us? He said, we want to give back to our community. We've got 110 schools in three counties, and we want to send you into these schools doing a Dow Chemical science show. And ultimately, that became a show I perform now called Wacky Science. And uh, from there, um, there was a newspaper article done on me, and our public utility saw what I was doing. And they said, hey, listen, we've got this mascot costume called Louis the Lightning Bug, and we want to take it into schools, but we don't have to do with it. Can you work it into a magic show? I said, well, sure, I can. So um, straight out of college, um, I had that, that first show. And then a year later, I had two corporate sponsors sending me into more schools. And so in the first couple of years, I was doing all these elementary schools, and to me, it was a piece of cake. People were calling me left and right. I'm driving around town, doing my little show, collecting all my money, you know, living high on the hog. And uh, and then I did an audition for um, Chevrolet, not knowing it was an audition. It was a Cub Scout magic show at uh, the, the GM headquarters, and all the bigwigs were there. And they said, hey, listen, you know. We want you to go on tour with us doing magic for Chevrolet. Now, I had never done any kind of educational magic before in terms of a trade show um, environment. I had done the school shows before. But now I'm standing in front of the Geo Metro on this little turntable with a beautiful model on my right or left side. And she has to be my assistant. And I'm supposed to promote this Geo Metro um, and do magic tricks at the same time. And I was terrible. I was absolutely terrible. I remember the agent walking up to me after seeing my very first performance in Dallas, Texas, and uh, people were coming up. I'm very nice. Oh, oh, you were really good. You know, here's some ideas for you. And uh, you were great. But the agent walks up to me, looks at me up and down, looks at me and says, nice sport coat. And he walked away. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, 
what a kick in the teeth, right? Wow. And I'm like, oh, this is my agent. Oh, my gosh. What am I going to do? Well, it turns out this is the kind of guy he was. He was just a sarcastic pain in the ass. And uh, <laughs> I got to know him a lot better over the next 20 years. And uh, that's what he was. He was never a kind of guy to pay a compliment. But as long as you didn't get fired, you knew you were doing a good job. Yeah. And it turned out that no word was a good word on the uh, on the circuit. And so I stayed with Chevrolet for 18 years, actually, doing magic for them. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that uh, that's what uh, set me on my way, you know. And it bought me my first condominium. It paid for my house. Whew. And, uh, yeah, and it ended up. And it ended up giving me the capital that I needed to develop my school shows. So instead of just doing um, Miser's Dream and um, you know Mismade Flag, now I was buying Illusions, and mm-hmm. we're you know custom building um, um, special dollhouse illusions, and hiring Jim Steinmeier to come as a designer for me, and going to some professional builders and having it done the right way, and. Uh, I now have a small warehouse where I maintain about eighty thousand dollars in illusions that we haul into the elementary schools, and that's that's the kind of way we do it now. It's not just a small little magic show out of a suitcase in the elementary school. Now it's it's big stuff with an assistant. Yeah, it it is backdrops, assistance, music, a script, um, a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's it's a theatrical approach to uh, to doing a school show. And blended through there is not just a theme, be it a detective show or a game show or a circus show or a, you know, um, a science show. Um, but there's also a plot um, mm-hmm. um, to the story. There's a script, and my assistant just doesn't just come on and wear a pretty dress and hand me props, but she actually has lines in the shows. And uh, I've created kind of a series of programs that are different than really whatever anyone else is doing in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's how it, it, it all started off, and that's where it came from. It's funny. I went to college. I got a four-year degree in broadcast journalism. I wanted to be a television you know, uh, news anchor. And uh, then I kind of got brainwashed into realizing, you know what? Maybe I should just get a regular job. So I started doing all those interviews you do when you're a senior in college, and you sign up to go talk to these companies. Yeah. And I remember sitting down. I hated it. I hated it. I, I didn't research the company. I didn't want to do it. And but I knew Kraft, Kraft Foods. Oh yeah, I know Kraft. I eat macaroni and cheese. I'm a college kid. I know who this is. So I go and I sit down with a guy from Kraft. This guy had to be maybe 75 years old, the retiree. He's going into college. Is looking for recruits. I told him my whole story about being a magician, doing birthday party magic shows and Cub Scout balloon gold banquets and all that kind of stuff. And he said, you know what? He said, I like you a lot. He goes, you know what? I would hire you in a second. And I will send you on the road, and you can sell Kraft macaroni and cheese products to grocery stores around a, around a region. He says, but you know what? You seem to really be turned on by this magic thing. He goes, here's my card. Why don't you try this magic thing of yours for five years? And if it doesn't work out, you give me a call in 1992, and I'll hire you and give you a job right there and then. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the best advice I ever got. So I went home. I said, Mom and Dad. Thanks for paying for college for four years, but I'm going to live at home for a few years, and I'm going to be a magician. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but mom and dad were very supportive of that. They That's really good. were. Yeah, it was great. And I remember I was making money hand over fist. Is you know I was 20 years old, 22 years old, making $5,000 a month, which was great. The problem was, though, I was spending about $4,800 a month um, you know, mm-hmm. on developing my business and brochures and advertising and Whatever I could do, buying a new Macintosh SE computer because that was the cutting edge technology, you know, (laughs) 
working on software programs and trying to get mailing lists out and still typing letters and mailing them to people, um, spending a ton of time. And dad would come home every day at the end of the day and say, hey, did you work today? I go, well, yeah, dad, I worked today. Well, did you make any money today? Well, no, I didn't do any shows, but I worked today. Um, long story short, it turned into eventually it turned into um, my dad would ask me, well, how much money did you make today? And I would tell him. And then it became a, a, a turn of uh, events. Suddenly, um, my dad was uh, – I was saying to my dad, hey, dad, how much money did you make today? And when uh, I was making more money than my dad on a daily basis, my dad finally said, OK, it's time for you to move out of the house. <laughs> and, uh, so, so he kicked me out and I bought my first condo and, and that was the end of the story there. Wow! Wow, that's that's amazing. So we we've heard all about how how you got your your start in in creating themed shows, and it's just really amazing to see how much of a production it is. Uh, now you you mentioned uh, you have assistants and stuff. Is um is one of them your wife, or? Yeah, yeah. One of them is my wife. My okay. my main assistant. My, the illusion started when my fiance said to me, "Hey, listen." I want to be in a show because I had the Uncle Sam show and I had the science show and uh, I had an environmental show. I had those three shows and she said, listen, I want to be in a show. So it, it turned into, okay, now I'm going to buy illusions and build illusions. And, mm-hmm. and that worked out great for a number of years. And then suddenly when we got married and she got pregnant and wasn't exactly fitting in the boxes anymore, um, right. she, uh, she was able to stay home and, and raise my three kids and I – I hired some actresses and I took them around town. Didn't have to travel too much because with 2,000 elementary schools in Michigan um, in the 90s and when the economy was ripping and roaring, we were doing 10 schools a week every week from September through um, the middle of June. And and I was typically home by 4, 30, 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. It was, it was really, really tremendous. And uh, the... the, the, the I wanted the bigger illusions because I wanted people to walk into my shows and go, wow, you know, and the backdrops that I use, the whole production value came out of just the necessity. If you're doing illusions, you have to have a backstage space because the girl's got to climb in the box or she's got to prep something. So I started using, uh, just some large curtains that we'd hang on, on, uh, horizontal rods. They were actually photography um, stands that photographers would bring in and roll their paper down on. If you go to a wedding, you know, they're standing in front of a rolled sheet of paper. Right, yeah. That's the kind of stands that I still use today. Yeah, and so it all kind of just blossomed out of being an illusionist, the production values had to increase just out of necessity. Right, and the the reason I asked is because I, I wanted to find out from you what are what are some of the challenges that you encountered in working with your wife in in these shows. You know, there weren't a lot of challenges. My wife came out of the auto show um, world, so she was a products product spokesperson for um, Buick. Um, she actually, it's a funny story. Um, she was the lovely assistant to a, uh, magician named Shep Hyken okay. and Shep was working at GNC. Shep's a real big, uh, customer service speaker now and real successful in the public speaking arena. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, she was working with Shep. I was in Los Angeles working with another girl and, uh, went over, met Shep. Um, I had met Heidi on the airplane flying out to LA and Shep said, hey, listen, I'm going to the Magic Castle with my girlfriend. How about if you and Heidi join me? Um, so Shep kind of took us on our first date together, which, nice. which was great. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but Heidi knew she was already a lovely assistant to this other magician. 
Um, she was already able to communicate and spoke very well because of her background as a model and a spokesperson. Mm-hmm. And so throwing her into a show was a natural fit. She was natural on stage. Um, she had a great stage presence. And uh, surprisingly, she was, turned into a really great character actress as well. Um, and she was able to play the part of a bully or the part of a clown or the part of a, a silly witch. Right. And she just uh, fell right to it. And I got really lucky. I got really lucky with her yeah, because yeah. she's uh, multi, multi-talented. You know, I've, I've been through some other girls who were not as talented. Um, and for a while there, it became a point of, listen, meet me on time. Don't ever call in sick. You know, we'll get along just fine. I'll mm-hmm. teach you everything else. So I went through a number of assistants. It wasn't until I hired a real actress, and the girl who works with me consistently now is a film and television actress. She's done a number of feature films. They started filming in here in Detroit, and she brought a dimension to the show that uh, I had never expected and really took the shows over the top. Heidi, my wife, still works with me when she can, but of course, we got three kids. they got to get on the bus every morning, yeah, um, so yeah. we have family chores on the house. Heidi will meet me in the afternoon if I'm less than 20 miles away and come out and do a show with me just to keep her brushed up on it. And she still loves it, too. She has a lot of fun with it. So uh, it's nice to have her as a backup because if my other assistant gets called in for a movie, um, next Thursday she's actually got a she's got a movie shoot. And it came in at last minute, so my wife is filling in for her. And um, having a couple girls I can rely on um, doesn't really pose any challenges because I've got my backups and we're ready to go whenever we need to. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So in, in talking now about uh, about these theme shows, could you talk about how you go about brainstorming tricks that will fit a specific theme? You know, yeah, there's two ways of doing it. Either you take the theme or the lesson that you want to teach and you find a trick that fits it, or you find a trick that's been in your basement and you make it fit the message. Um, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Um, I was doing a show in an elementary school once, and a principal came to me afterward and said, hey, listen, loved your show, but next year we want your character show. And I said, well, yeah, I don't have a character show. Maybe you're thinking of somebody else. He goes, no, no, no. You've got a year. Here's the information you need. And he handed me this three-ring binder that was probably about four inches thick, and this whole character counts thing was outlined in it. And he wanted a character show, and he wanted me to do it. So he basically handed me an outline and all the educational material that I needed. Now all I had to do was go home and match magic tricks to the messages. So I I wasn't exactly keen on spending a lot of money and building illusions and and, and spending a fortune on developing the show because Mm -hmm. I didn't know if it was going to be successful or not. But I knew I could do something for him in a year's time. And so I started going through my basement, and I found an old milk and light bulb trick, okay? And it was it was an old Abbott's prop. It was probably made in 1974, and it sat in my basement. And I did it a few times, and yeah, you know, it was kind of a sloppy, messy trick. Well, I thought, how can I use this trick, which I always loved. I always got a great reaction, just a great reaction. How can I use this trick in a character show? Well, I thought, you know, I don't want to use milk. It's too messy. How about if I use something else white? I could use a white handkerchief. I could use salt because salt or sand will fill that light bulb. So when you take off that shade, it looks like a light bulb, and it doesn't get the effect until you start pouring it out, just like the milk. So the salt became a, a, a wonderful substitute because it's not nearly sloppy and messy as milk. So I started doing that, 
And the trick became, um, okay, there's salt inside a light bulb. How does that tie in with character traits? Well, wait a second. Character traits are the things that we have inside of ourselves. So I started going, wait a minute, salt in a light bulb, character traits inside a person, maybe I can make some kind of correlation between the two. And I developed a routine where I started telling kids, listen, if you have a job you want to do, you know, you have to use the tools you have inside. This lamp I got from my garage sale, it contains a light bulb. If the light bulb wants to do its job, it has to have electricity. Well, if people plug themselves in, of course, you know, your hair is going to stand on end. So if we want to get jobs done, like the light bulb is getting a job done, we have to use something else. We use our character traits and character traits are the tools we have inside ourselves. Well, salt reminds me of character because sometimes you need a little bit. Sometimes you need a lot more, just like when you are trying to get a job done. Sometimes you use one or two character traits. Other times you use a few more. Well, the salt goes into a devil's handkerchief. The salt disappears. The light goes out. And I say, hey, listen, if you're looking for character traits, look inside yourself. They're in there. But if you're looking for the salt, don't look inside yourself. Look over here inside the light bulb because inside the light bulb, you're going to find buried inside the light bulb, just like your character traits hidden away deep down on the inside. You're not going to find them until you start using them and they pour the salt out. So I'm saying the message about what you have inside yourself while the salt is appearing inside a light bulb. And it's kind of making this really pretty picture mm-hmm. and it's drive point home. I found out later, um, a lot of people thought I was hiding religious messages in my show. Teachers would sign <laughs> and go, hey, listen, you must be a Christian talking about the salt of the earth and the light and everything. And I would just look at them and smile and go, you know what? Everybody gets something different from my yeah, show. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. right. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. You know, but I tell you, too, that kind of goes back to this lady wanted to see that message. That's yeah. what she brought to my show. She saw that message in a very positive, motivating, uplifting way for her, you know. Um, and so I was able to connect with her on a completely different, unexpected level. Um, and that's the funny thing about magic, too. You know, we go into these, whether you're a birthday party magician or a close-up magician or whoever you are, it's amazing the way we can connect with people. Cause again, you don't know what people to bring into your show. I'll give you a couple of examples. I was, um, I was out of town with two of my kids, my wife and my son were somewhere else. My two kids were staying at a holiday inn and this, the door of our hotel opened up onto a pool. My kids became friends with these other kids. Turned out the lady was a single woman in next to us in the hotel room. And my kids got along great and we started talking and we got pizza together and had a good time and you know the next morning I'm packing my car and I'm double checking a couple things getting my maps out because I'm taking my kids to my library show and the woman is sitting out front and she's smoking a cigarette and she got tears coming down her face yeah and I said hey listen I don't want to you know seem out of place here but are you okay can I help you and she goes oh I'm sorry she's been really hard for us she says I had to move out because of the safety of my kids. And I've been living in this hotel with my kids now for three weeks and it's getting really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, do you have a car? Can you come and go? She goes, no, we don't have a car. She goes, my sister's coming to get me and we're going to lunch with the kids. I said, listen, I'm doing a magic show at a library. She didn't know I was a magician. You know, four miles from here, it's at 1130 this morning. If you'd like to come and bring your kids something to do to get out of this hotel, please come and be my guest. So she came, she sat with the kids, they laughed, they had a good time. We said goodbye, so nice meeting you, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, six months later, the following Christmas, I get a card in the mail from this woman. And it's a photograph of her and her children. And she says, listen, you have no idea what I was going through at that time. She said, uh, coming to see your show and having some laughs for just a half an hour, 45 minutes, meant so much to me that I kept that joy with me over the next six months. She goes, you'll be happy to know we now have our own home. We finally got the heat turned on. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. But I think back to that day and how you made me and my kids laugh. And I just want to wish you a Merry Christmas. You know, and um, I got to tell you, man, when I tell that story, it brings tears to my eyes because yeah. it's just, wow. wow. I didn't know I made an impression on someone like that. And it's like, I'm just doing a, I'm doing a library show and I'm just doing silly children magic tricks. But the, what it meant to this woman and her family, it just changed her. It changed her year, you know, and it's really incredibly powerful. Something else happened too. And it, it changed pretty much my outlook on what I do. I was doing a school show once and uh, three quarters of the way through the show, this little boy jumped up. He was sitting in a bleacher next to a teacher and he broke away from this teacher. He ran up to me about four or five feet away and he yells out, funny magic. And he runs back and he sits down next to the teacher. Well, typically children would laugh at something like this, okay? Because it's kind of out of character for anyone to do this. And it's certainly not expected or appropriate. But instead of laughing, they, the kids were shocked, just utterly shocked into silence. And the teachers were shocked. And I'm thinking, what's going on? This is weird. So I kind of got through the show. We finished it up. And it was a very successful show. We're packing up everything. And the principal's over in the corner crying. And I'm like, oh, my God. What did I do? What did I say? You know? Mm -hmm. So I walk up to her. And she goes, I can't explain what just happened. I go, well, what do you mean? She goes, that little boy who ran up to you and yelled funny magic she says, he has a severe case of autism. He's been in our school for four years. He's never spoken more than three words to anybody ever in the course of time that I've known him. And he just ran up and initiated a conversation with you. She goes, that was remarkable. What did you do? I said, I did nothing. I just did my show. But, you know, in, in kind of looking into all this and finding out about it, you know, children with autism have a way of connecting with magic. Yeah, Something inside yeah. their little minds, it just it clicks with them and it really touches these kids. And so I turned into a – it became my goal to, to get special needs kids on stage when I do a school show. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll walk, right up, I'll walk right up to the special needs classroom and I'll look right at the teacher and I'll go, you know, do you have someone who's willing to help? And you should just see their eyes light up. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy wants to pick my kids. My kids never get picked. You know, I don't care if they're in a wheelchair. I don't care if they've got cognitive, uh, you know, disabilities. Yeah. I don't care if not typical, you know, if they, they get them on stage, you know what, if, if it explodes on you and it's a problem, they had a chance and it's a learning experience for him. It shows acceptance to the rest of the kids in the school, you know, and I kind of do it as a personal little thing. Um, but I really want to connect with all kinds of people. And that's kind of become a, a, a personal goal of mine. You know, after those two cases, the woman in the library with her family and this little boy, um, I realized, oh my gosh, what we do is incredibly powerful and it can really leave and make a lasting impression. Mm -hmm. Really.
So neat stuff, real neat yeah, stuff. Yeah, and you you actually have a a uh, small section devoted to uh, working with special needs children in your shows uh, in your book. Could you take a moment and talk about that for a moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny. I uh, I, I presented at the Cadabra conference a couple times. We went down to Cadabra a number of years ago and did uh, my Diversity Circus show, which is my my biggest character show that we're running right now. Um. We presented the show live, and afterwards, um, my wife's been working with the autism community quite extensively over a number of years. My son was diagnosed back when he was about three years old, about okay. ten years ago, and yeah. we've been uh, working and battling to get him better. And he is—he's uh, really on a road to recovery in terms of. If you met him today, you might say he's a little quirky, but he's a perfectly normal kid. What thirteen-year-old boy isn't quirky, right? <laughs> or normal uh, for that matter, right? Or- for that matter, yeah. exactly. Everyone's you know, any, any magician's not normal. We know that. You know? But, oh yeah, uh, certainly. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. But Heidi, Heidi said, "Hey, you know what? After this, we're going to sit down and have a talk." So we had a talk with a, a moderator after we did our show to talk about how the show was developed, how it came together, you know, and 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 how people can take their show to the next level and, and add things to it, more theatrics. And Heidi decided to speak on the whole idea of using special needs kids on stage and identifying children with autism in the audience, what to look for, you know, and in, in, in ways of utilizing them and using them. And there's little tricks you can do that if you get a child on stage and that child isn't making eye contact with you, um, that, that could be a sign that something's going on. Right. So if the child starts to act up or act out, it's not that he is trying to be mischievous. It's just that there might be something going on that you don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And so to make any kind of jokes at the child's expense can really backfire severely um, on you. There's so much there's so much attention deficit disorder now in schools that if you get a kid on stage and the kid is, you know, looking away or looking at your backdrop or not paying attention, it, it's, you have to get that child to focus without making fun at all. And there's certainly little tricks you can do if the child has autism and wants to run around. Just throwing a pad on the floor and saying "stand on this" or handing the child something to hold on to. Mm-hmm. If you're using a volunteer and the child doesn't have anything to hold on to in their hands, giving them something to hold on to—it could be a sponge ball or a thumb tip or anything unusual—will um, help to focus them and center them. You can also get a chair on stage. You can grab a chair from off stage and have the kids sit down, and that keeps them centered and keeps them focused, and it gives them the ability to maybe concentrate on what you are doing as a performer. Former, so their experience on stage with you is successful. Um, after that interview, Stan Allen was actually at that conference, and Stan said, "Hey, can you write an article for Magic Magazine? You know, on what you guys talked about." So I did that, and that article is published in my book. We'll talk about the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a compilation of many of the things that I've written for magazines in the past, and a lot of other information and material. Um, cool, yeah. But suddenly, it became. Suddenly, as a result of that article, I was invited to speak at Magic Live. I was invited ultimately just last summer to speak at the IBM SAM convention, and we spoke in part a little bit about using special needs kids on stage. But it starts to send me down a different avenue, and I've kind of become one of the go-to guys when it comes to working with special needs people on stage and how do you do it, how do you go about it, what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do, what do you say, what don't you say. Um, and, and how do you ease yourself into it to make those extra connections? And I think that's part of, you know, where I'm going right now in my career. I've been a success in the school shows, but it's 
where do you go from there? Now, my goal right now is to try to position myself as an expert um, in school shows and maybe also as, you know, the guy that can help you coach you if you're one special needs kids on stage or give you some ideas. And that's why that article is in that book. And there's so much more that can be written on it. It's just a and autism is such a huge spectrum that um, I'm not saying nearly what has to be said about it in this interview. Right. Um, but uh, I think being a being an expert and being perceived as an expert in whatever f- field you choose, um, be it magic or something else, I think is an ultimate goal for a lot of independent um, business people. Um, because if we can be perceived as the expert in either, you know, memory or nutrition or whatever we do, um, we're going to be the go-to people when it comes to um, people hiring us. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, like what you're doing, you know, you're becoming you know, one of the podcast experts because of the series you're doing. You know, there's a ton of other podcasts out there now. There's nutrition podcasts. There's health podcasts. There's like, these guys have become experts simply because of their podcasts. Also, if you write a book. You publish articles. Um, you start to be perceived um, in the industry as an expert. But if you write a book for the public, it seems to really push your credibility over the top. And that's what we did with one of the one of the shows. We turned the show into an actual graphic novel, and uh, it helps to position me as a little bit of an expert in my field, which helps me get a little more work and a little inch or two above my competitor. And that's kind of what we're always doing, isn't it? We're always looking at our competition and saying, okay, mm-hmm. how come he got the job and I didn't get the job? How come she's <laughs> doing this and I'm not doing this? But if yeah. you, you can stay one step ahead, you know, they're going to be looking at you going, wait a minute, how come he got the job and I did? You know, that's the position you want to be in, right? Absolutely. So yeah. you have uh, you have 13 uh, different theme shows that you that you have available to the the uh, the schools right now. Could you talk about um, you know how you pick a theme for for a show? Well, you know the schools want curriculum based shows. So working in an elementary school or a middle school, the schools want assembly shows that will come in and emphasize and reiterate what they're already teaching in school. Mm -hmm. So picking a theme like science or math or history, social studies, reading, okay, those are easy go-to topics, simple. You You don't have to pick them. They're already there for you. A lot of guys have reading shows. They go, hey, look, here's a book, here's a trick, here's a book, here's a trick. And it's very basic, but it's been very successful for a lot of guys that do school shows. You don't don't have to – you don't have to get uh, too deep and involved if you simply promote literature and promote reading by doing magic. If you're doing something more serious like bully proofing, um, then you've really got to show your stuff. Um, mm-hmm. When I say bully proofing, bully proofing is not a, a curriculum in this school, but it's something extra the teachers have to teach. Right. There's some state right. mandates and government mandates. You've got to teach Martin Luther King messages on Martin Luther King Day. We've got Patriot Day on Constitution Day. I teach the Constitution. You know, the schools are given so many things. There's leadership skills they're incorporating now into the schools. So whatever the school is doing in terms of an extracurricular type of thing can definitely be a theme for a school show. Um, the uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the Stephen Covey stuff, mm-hmm. um, was rewritten and redesigned and uh, – 
created for elementary school kids and school kids, and they're calling it this uh, leader. The leader in me is the name of the program, and a lot of schools are going into this trying to create young leaders out of kids, not just teaching them stuff, but teaching them social skills and how to take initiative and become leaders so they're more successful, be it in school or later in the workforce. So if you look at the curriculum or the extracurricular things that kid, that's happening in the schools, you know, you, you've already got your theme picked out for you. you know, we talk a lot about magic as we're magicians, but, you know, there's art, um, there's um, writing, there's music. There's a ton of assembly companies out there that do programs based on those things, and they're very successful. But that just—they're basically mirroring what's being done in the schools. Okay, so if I were if I were wanting to get started in the uh, the school education programs, how would I go about getting one of these curriculums? Would I talk to the teachers, the principal? Yeah, if you yeah, I've got kids in school, so it's easy for me to see exactly what they're sure, learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. absolutely. You know what you can do? Yeah, either you call, you call up a school or you call up a, a – you know, if you get a – chances are there's a school teacher in your neighborhood. You know, you touch base with them and say, listen, do you have assembly shows? What do you guys have? And what do you, what are you guys looking for? Mm-hmm. Or you set up a meeting with your local principal. If you've never done an educational school show before, you call up the principal. You say, hey, listen, I live in your community. I'd like to come in and talk to you about some ideas. I hope you can help me out. You know, and you say, listen, I'm a magician. You show the person a couple of magic tricks. You say, listen, I think magic can be an effective visual aid mm-hmm. to teach kids things. And I know you have assemblies. What are you looking for? You know, writing is a big thing. Um, for a long time, science and, and, and technology and engineering and math right now are big with the whole STEM, S-T-E-M, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, is a big push in the schools now, and they have these STEM schools that are popping up left and right. Um, but reading and writing and arithmetic have always been big. If you can do a show on one of those, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's an easy sell because what you're doing now, instead of designing a magic show and trying to sell it to people and saying, hey, listen, you're having your birthday party. You need a magic show. Well, no, we, we're going to go outside and play or we're going to get a pony instead. You know, you're forcing a product on somebody. If you have a product that a school is already looking for, selling it so much easier, all you have to do is make them aware of it. You know, if they're already looking for a math assembly show, now they just have to be aware of you and you just have to be better than the next guy to get the job. Yeah. So, Doug, could you tell us how creating a theme show is like building a house? My wife and I built a house. Um, about 10 years ago and it was a pain in the neck because (laughs) you got to pick out the grout color that goes between your brick. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know you had to do that. All right. It's like, really? Every little decision is up to you. We, we hired a builder as a consultant and we hired an architect Mm -hmm. and, um, we basically, my wife decided she wanted a particular theme of a house um, and so when you set a theme of your house, you suddenly limit your choices to what's going to be suitable for that house. If you were to build a, ga- a Gothic-style home, mm-hmm. you know, like a castle-type home, and you went out and looked for porch lights, you can't buy a brass globe porch light. It's not going to fit on the front of your house. you got to find something that's gothic looking. So when you set the theme for your home, suddenly the elevation is designed for you. 
you get big chunky gray bricks, you get arched windows, you get you know dark metal looking porch lights. You put a portcullis over your door. You know you get you get stones that walk up to your step or your walkway. So suddenly, when you limit your choices, the the choices design falls into place. So when you're building a magic show, if you set a theme for a magic show, be it a detective show, you know, or you're going to be a maybe you're going to be a chef, or maybe you're going to be a, a police officer or a, a construction worker. If you decide you want to do you know, let's say you're going to do a math show, you know, to come in as a magician, do a math show. Well, that's great. But if you decide to do a math show dressed up as a highway construction worker, well, now, wait a second. Now you've got an idea of what your set could be. Your set could be like a highway or it could be pictures of big bulldozers or something. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to do magic and you can do, you know, mathematical tricks using maybe cones or maybe blockades or something maybe a construction worker would use. So suddenly when you – it's like dumping everything into a funnel. You dump things into a funnel and the only stuff that you can use is going to come out the bottom. Um, for my detective show, I have a, uh, a conflict resolution detective show. Um, the, the props that were chosen, the that were built fit, fit the detective theme. You know, we've got this giant detective's notebook off to the side, which is actually my dream vision illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a giant dumpster on stage because the set's like a back alley and there's a cat and there's a, a newspaper box. And the dumpster itself is a sub trunk designed to look like a big trash receptacle. You know, so you suddenly are able to design your set pieces and your illusions to fit that theme because I play a detective kind of like the, you know, the trench coat wearing, um, detectives from the the old black and white movies and my partner Heidi my wife plays the troublemaker she plays more of a modern bully type character with a backwards baseball cap and a leather vest mm-hmm. you know um so yeah when you when you theme a show like that suddenly things start to fall together and it works out it's a pretty easy system because you're eliminating a lot of things that just aren't going to fit simply because they aren't going to fit right. or you modify them to make them fit you know you modify the design you change the spectacle you change the way they look so they do fit in the show so it it basically almost kind of builds itself then it does it really does when we built a circus show um when you decide you want to do a circus themed show well who are the characters in a circus well there's a ringmaster there's an acrobat there's a clown you know so now you got some characters you got some costumes that suddenly become evident you know, there's going to be some kind of animals in the circus. In my circus show, there's a lion and a mouse and a giant chicken. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you've seen the video. I know. Oh, so yeah. you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the props themselves are designed with the, the themed colors. Mm-hmm. When you think of a circus, you think of maybe triangles, long skinny triangles on these things that the elephants stand on. And maybe some of the props can look like that. And one of my receptacles that I use to throw things into actually looks like something an elephant might stand on when it's doing its tricks. So the set pieces start falling in place when you start to create a theme. It works out really well. So it makes makes the decisions much easier to make because you already have guidelines to, uh, to line up with. 
Absolutely. And you have to you have to think what what appeals to a child. If you walk into an elementary school wearing a suit and tie, you're gonna look like their dad. And how are you any different from their dad to work? That's if a you good walk, point. Yeah, and if you're a woman <laughs> and you wear a pretty dress and some pearls on your neck, you look like mom going down a dinner date, you know? Mm-hmm. So but if I come in dressed as a detective or a ringmaster, or I'm wearing some kind of crazy bright sequin colored jacket because I'm a game show host, you know, suddenly I'm something different. And I'm not a magician anymore. Now I'm a ringmaster. And since, you're, since I'm not a magician, I can get away with doing things that aren't very, very magical too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because yeah. it's, it's not a magic show anymore. If you're not limiting yourself to just doing magic tricks in this show, it opens up an entire treasure chest of things that you can do i mean you could pull out puppets i don't do puppets you could pull out puppets you could pull out games you could pull out puzzles you could do all kinds of things in this show as long as they teach a message because you're not billing yourself as a magician they don't expect a magic trick every time you do something which is nice mm-hmm. yeah. yeah now a lot of the stuff we've been talking about uh tonight it has been taken from your book entertaining education could you take a moment and just tell us a little bit about this about your book Absolutely. Um, Entertaining education. The subtitle is A Comprehensive Guide to Creating and Performing Educational Magic. Um, When I say educational magic, people think, oh, school shows. Well, it's not just school shows. Um, I got my start, you know, not only doing school shows, but also 18 years working for Chevrolet doing, I say trade shows very loosely because. Um, they're, they're consumer shows is what they are. A trade show is a completely different ballgame. Um, in an auto show, there's already people there, and they just want to have a good time and walk away with a happy feeling and learn a little something. Um, but it's also educational magic. Trade show magicians who actually work a booth and bring in a crowd and turn them over to the sales guys. Mm-hmm. They're doing educational magic. Um, guys that go in and do sales presentations and incorporate magic and introduce the new products. They're doing educational magic. Um, school show performers doing educational magic, magic, any kind of sponsorship performer. I know you had Rick Gerber on. He's your mm-hmm. Budweiser magician. He's an educational magician because he's teaching people about the benefits of Budweiser beer, you know, um, and why they should drink it as a <laughs> magician. Frito-Lay, you know, they had them. Mark Wilson, of course, was probably started it for all of us with Kellogg's and and all of his educational stuff that that he did for his sponsorships for his TV shows. Um, but there have been guys. Willie Wonka used magicians for years doing magic shows. Um, but either way, these are all educational magicians. So this book is designed to point out the different educational magicians and then show how you can use magic to – teach. Now, there's a good way and there's a bad way because everyone knows that doing comedy magic is very, very difficult because if you time the jokes and you time the magic tricks incorrectly, they cancel each other out. People can't be amazed when they're laughing and they can't laugh when they're being amazed. You know, it doesn't work that way. Well, educational magic could be just as hard if not harder because not only are you trying to amaze people, entertain them, you're also trying to teach them at the same time. So if I just did something and I blew your mind, then I told you XYZ company has the best widgets, you're not going to hear a word that I said because your mouth is hanging open and your your brain is frozen up. So what I've done is gone through you know the different kinds of magic tricks 
identifying those different types of tricks and then where you put your educational magic in with those tricks to make it the most effective. Is the trick an instant trick? It happens instantaneously like a color change or a card change or is it sustained? Does it happen over a period of time like a floating lady? Um, those are the two different types of magic, instantaneous magic and sustained magic and um, based on what category they fall in, there's a proper place to put your message so that people not only hear it, but they also remember it. And the goal really is to create a magic trick that's so tied into the message that they can't be taken apart. You can't, you can't remove them from each other. Um, there's a number of examples in my book. Um, in fact, there's 18 different scripts from my educational school shows. There's actually 18 different routines that I've created um, with educational messages. The tricks are outlined. I tell you where to buy the props, where to buy the trick, what the trick is, because they're all dealer items. Mm-hmm. I don't create magic at all. I just take an item off the shelf and I, I, I figure out a way to put the message most effectively into it. Um, there's character routines in there. There's environmental routines. There's reading routines. There's 18 routines in all. Scripts are all there. Plus, there's a password-protected website. You get the passcode. And uh, when you buy the book, you are suddenly a member of the Scripts and Clips website. You go on. You can see me actually do the show. Because if you read the script, it reads dry. But then if you watch the video, suddenly it comes to life and you go, oh, my gosh, I can see the timing now. I see how the interaction is done with the audience and how the trick is performed. And it makes a lot more sense. But then in the back of the book, we go into an analysis of a show that I do called Diversity Circus. The book comes with a copy of my um, Diversity Circus DVD, which is my 40-minute character education show. Um, It's a circus show um, that teaches kids basically Martin Luther King's message, how to judge people, not by, you know, not to judge people, not by seeing what's on the outside, but by looking and seeing what's on the inside. Um, And I actually analyze that particular show and every aspect of it in the book. Um, And then at the back of the book are, um, as I mentioned before, previously written and submitted and published articles that are written for, I wrote for the Matching Magazines, um, and some lecture notes um, in the back, and uh, other information on creating brands and brand awareness and how everything you do before and during and after a show is an incremental step in building your brand and maintaining your brand and, and people and how they perceive you as not just a performer, but as a business person, as a human being, really. Mm-hmm. Um, because the goal, the goal, with the goal of all of us magicians is not just to create a client that we work for once, but to build relationships. You know that so we can work for the same people over and over again because it's a lot easier, you know, to keep a client than it is to get a client. You know, and um, yeah, and that's that's part of the reason why I have thirteen different shows. If a school has me, you know, once or twice a year, most of my schools have me multiple times a year. I can go back for five years, six years straight, and do two shows a year. By the time they cycle through my shows, they got a whole brand new crew of kids coming through the door, and uh, can start it all over again. You know, so it works out really well. Yeah. That's Looks awesome. Well. So uh, I, I do have a um, a copy of this book, Entertaining Education, A Comprehensive Guide to Creating and Performing Educational Magic, and I'm going to be giving this away to one of our listeners. Uh, so basically what, what you're going to do in order to get this is uh, I will pick one person, but what I want you to do is comment on the show notes page for this episode and let me know who your favorite interview has been and one thing you've learned that you've been able to implement into your business. 
And you'll be able to find the show notes for this page at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash Doug Shear. And that's D-O-U-G-S-C-H-E-E-R. And uh, so, yeah, go ahead and comment and uh, tell us what uh, what your favorite, who your favorite interview was and one thing you've learned that you've been able to implement for your business. And I'll pick one person from those comments. Beautiful. Great. All right. If people want to buy the book, they can buy the book too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, I'll make it really easy in that as well. You'll be able to go to SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash entertaining education, and that will bring you right to Doug's website where you can uh, purchase the book as well. Oh, thank you. That's great. Hey, sure thing. <laughs> so we're we're here at the end of the show here and uh it's just kind of a lightning round of things and first off i'd like you to recommend a resource that you always use to our listeners and this could be anything from an iphone app to something like a prop list you know there's something crazy that i do and people think i'm nuts for doing this but i think it's been incredibly effective for me there is a website called verbal inc hmm. verbal v e r b a l i n k verbalinc.com and what you can do is you can send them an uh, audio file or a video file of any of your shows any of your performances and within a matter of four or five days they will shoot back to you a script of your show they transcribe everything you do everything you do um it's brilliant and, and the reason I say it's it's brilliant is because you can watch your show over and over again and you can go, oh, wow, I don't look that good. I should emphasize this. I should say that. And that's one great way of improving yourself and looking at your delivery. But when you sit down and you read your show, I suddenly realize <laughs> that I've got all these verbal quirks and I say things and I can't believe I say them. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll find yourself misspeaking sometimes. Sometimes if you're going off the cuff, maybe you don't use um, you know, proper verb tense. I know that I do that sometimes. Um, and it's it's a great way to keep myself um, toned and um, conscious of what I'm doing. You can also sit down with the script of your show and hone and take out unnecessary words and maybe you can tighten up those jokes and make them stronger or make them better by actually sitting down with paper and pencil and editing your script. And uh, I find it enlightening, really enlightening to look at what you say on paper and to see how you speak. Because certainly we don't speak like you read. We speak in segments. In, fra- in fragments all the time, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's very effective. But sometimes it isn't, and sometimes there's there's ways to, ways to be clearer in what you're trying to say. And so I think Verbal Link is a great website. I use it all the time, all the time. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And then I'd uh, like you to recommend two books: one performance specific book, and then one outside of the performance realm, like a business or a self development book. Yeah, a performance specific book. Um, You know, there's not a lot that appeals to me in terms of what I do because not a lot has been written on the school assembly show market. But um, a friend of mine, a guy named Joe Romano, who's an incredibly successful school performer along the East Coast, he lives down in Virginia. Uh, He wrote a book uh, recently um, called CIA. 
it's it's his uh, dossier. Um, he, it's it's kind of like a James Bond kind of look on the cover of him, and <laughs> it looks really slick. But CIA stands for Content, Image, and Appreciation, and he believes those are the three keys to be a successful school show performer. But there's so much in that book that's not just school show related. Joe has been able to um, get a hold of the technology that we're using today maximize it and so anyone who's looking to market to the schools or really increase your marketing efforts he goes into quite extensively quite a bit of information on how he has been able to dominate his market um, in terms of his marketing strategies and he's basically giving it away um, I, yeah. if you go to, yeah if you go to Joe Romano's website um, I don't know where he's selling it um, you can just google search Joe Romano you can find it he, uh, he's got it available. He's on Facebook a lot promoting it, too. You can find him there as well. Okay. Is yeah. that Joe, J-O-E, or Joel, J-O-E-L? J-O-E. Okay. Joe. <laughs> Romano, like the pizzeria. Romano. Yeah. Check him out. It's a great book. It's uh, Full disclosure, Joe's a buddy of mine. I don't get any money for him selling books, but uh, I wouldn't promote it if it wasn't something worthwhile. And it's, I tell you, it's, I, um, it's, a, it's a brilliant book. He's got some great stuff in there. Um, so for, for that – uh, industry type of uh, manual. I'd look at that for something outside the industry, which isn't really. Um, I, I read a number of years ago. I love biographies of um, and autobiographies of other performers. Um, there is a guy named Jerry Weintraub, and Jerry Weintraub is a huge power name in. Hollywood. He is the producer of um, The Karate Kid. He produced all the Ocean's 11 and Ocean's Ocean's 13 and you know, he's been the manager for George Clooney and Brad Pitt and all these guys. He was also he also worked with Frank Sinatra back in the day. He worked with the Rat Pack. This guy's been around. He was also um one of the promotions managers for Elvis Presley. Um he um he took John Denver out of a bar in New York City and he made him a superstar. Mm-hmm. And this book is filled with incredible stories um, basically about how he made stars out of people and uh, the things he did and the brilliant, sneaky and tricky things that he did um, for Elvis Presley. There's some great, great stories, funny stories in that book. But if you read between the lines, any performer can take that stuff and go, oh my gosh, I can apply this directly to my career. And uh, he, all the problems he encountered along the way and how he solved them. But he's a funny guy, real yeah. funny stories. Um, there's, a, there's a story, he promised Elvis Presley that Elvis would never play to an empty seat. So they sold out an evening show and they wanted to add a matinee show. So they added a matinee show. Well, the matinee show only sold about 50% of the seats. And uh, uh, Jerry couldn't have that. So what he did, I don't want to, I'll tell one story out of the book. <laughs> Across the street was a prison. He went over to the warden, greased the warden's palm, and said, Listen, I got a problem. We got to unbolt about, you know, 800 seats out of this arena, stack them in the back, and then put them back in for the evening show. So, oh so the Lord brought these prisoners over. They unbolted all of these seats, put them in the back. So when Elvis played the matinee show, it was a standing room only crowd. Literally, there were no more seats to be filled. So he kept up his end of the deal. And then by the evening show, the seats were all put back. The crowd side was doubled. Um, at the end of the whole thing, the good kicker is Elvis said to uh, Colonel Parker and to uh, Jerry, I don't want to do these matinee, no, matinee shows anymore. 
the, the, the energy is, isn't there. The crowd just seems so much quieter than the evening show. Let's not do matinees anymore. He had no <laughs> idea it was half a crowd. Wow. <laughs> it was a, but sneaky, sneaky stuff like that and great stories. And that's a book I recommend anybody get. You know, if you go on Amazon now, you can get that book for like three bucks. You can mm-hmm. download it. It's a $5 Kindle or $10 Kindle download. It's, it's yeah. just a great story. That, stuff. That, that sounds like something a magician would do, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Well that's it. That's why it appeals, I think, to me, because yeah. it's, it's all this 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 sneaky thinking, this outside the box thinking that we magicians just get turned on by. So oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Get out. Yeah. So finally, that, I'd, I'd like you to just tell us where we can find you online and uh plug your services and your products. You know, let me tell you the name of that book. Did I tell you the name of that book? It's called uh, When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead is the uh, name of that book. Okay. When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead. So that's the book. You check it out. But um, DougShear.com, Doug Shear, and you spell Doug Shear, S-C-H-E-E-R. It's like Doug's cheer. Um, DougShear.com, it's my – yeah, it's my website for um, everything I do. There's links to my school show website and my magic show website. But the very front page, it's designed specifically for magicians. And the products I have are there. Um, you can find out about one of the school shows that I franchised out, a show called Wacky Science. The one I developed for Dow Chemical back in 1989 is now a franchise show. And I've got eight performers around the country currently doing that show quite successfully so if you want to get into the school show market rather quickly um it's a show you can pick right up and and hit the ground running with eventually you uh, develop it into your own show and uh, i guess the only criticism people get is like well gosh you're giving away your show and you're creating clones of yourself you know what people say it's bad to copy and it is you don't want to steal things from people without a doubt Um, but I think copying other performers is a natural way of learning how to become ourselves. Yeah. Um, I know yeah. we, we all did it when we were younger, right? You saw something on TV and you did it exactly the way Mark Wilson did it or Doug Henning did it because we copied them. That's how we had to learn. But eventually you decide and you discover that presentation style is not for you. It's uncomfortable and you develop your own skills and your own skill set. And you develop your own personality, and that's that's when you start becoming a real professional when you when you can do it your own way. Um, so the, the the wacky science show is my show, and people can go out there and copy and do exactly the way I do it and be me, and that's fine. But over the course of time and doing the show 30, 40, 50, 60 times, the show is going to evolve and become your own personal show. Mm-hmm. And um, it's basically it's a, it's a really hardcore blueprint. It's a uh, it's a house, basically. I built for you, and you can move in and bring in your own furniture. Is what it is, you know. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And are you on uh, Facebook or Twitter or anything? Yeah, Facebook. Um, yeah, I'm there. Okay. You can find me. You. Just, <laughs> yeah. you can friend me, and we can stay in touch that way easily. And I'm I'm on the I'm on Facebook way too much. You know, I've decided a lot of professional magicians, the guys that really work a lot, we're on Facebook all the time. You want to know why? <laughs> because we're backstage with nothing to do. <laughs> waiting, to, <laughs> waiting to be introduced, right? There you and, go. And uh, that's where I find myself making snarky comments on people's pages um, when I'm just between shows. So yeah, you can find me there. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, what one of my one of my good friends, Sean McMaster, is always posting pictures of himself backstage with the the caption "Waiting to go on." You know, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> you could that's have explained your life. it any better. 
All right. That's the work of perform. The work is traveling and waiting. The performing is the fun part. The work yes. is the traveling and the waiting. You know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And a quick note to our listeners: links for these resources and uh, everything else uh, for the show will be provided on the show notes for this show, and you can find that once again at successfulperformercast.com/slash Doug Shear or Doug's Cheer D O U G S C H E E R. So, Doug, you've shared all kinds of great information that our listeners can use to help grow their performance businesses. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing your experience. It's been a pleasure, and you're doing a great thing. I'm looking forward to who you're having in the past and going through your old episodes and catching up on the ones I missed. So thank you. Thank you, Chris, for doing this. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful evening. You bet. Hey guys, this is Chris Shepard, your host, signing out. I just wanted to remind you of a couple of things here. Uh, be sure to visit our Facebook group and interact there. You can find that at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash FB group. And also don't forget to check out that free PDF show booking and debrief form. And you can find that at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash booking sheet. And also if there's any way that I, that you think I can improve the show or anything uh, you would like to see in the future or anybody you'd like me to you know, try and get on the show as a guest, uh, just shoot me an email at ks at successfulperformercast.com. Now, go out there and make your dreams happen. Hey, Susie, happy birthday.